0: Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 126. The Word of God says... When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, verse 4, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And so, Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your spirit and your presence that's here today. Father, we're believing, Father, for transformation more than anything else. That as we hear your word, Lord God, that you... Above all else, we'll take those words by your Holy Spirit and transform our hearts. Father, let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this word. We bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Just let there be freedom. And I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you that this word will speak to us, that your gifts will be in operation even as I share. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And a special welcome to all of those that are watching Uh, on camera, on TV as well. Good to have you with us. I want to begin a new series today entitled Praying Our Emotions. God made us as emotional beings and feelings play a big part in our life. Uh, We're called to serve God, not just with the intellect, not just with our mind, but the Bible says with with our heart as well, with our emotions. Um, And there are different kinds of of emotions. There's positive emotions um, uh, like joy and peace and love. Um, And then there are some difficult emotions. I don't want to call them negative uh, because I don't want to kind of make that distinction. Just difficult emotions like anger or guilt or anxiety or even fear. And it's to this latter group of emotions that I kind of want to speak to this morning. If we don't learn to deal with those emotions, they can overwhelm us and even destroy us. At times, Proverbs says this if you live without restraint and are unable to control your uh, this case, it says temper. Uh, But we could easily insert the word emotions because anger is an emotion. So if you live without restraint and are unable to control your emotions, you're as helpless as a city with broken down defences open to attack. We need to find a way to deal with our emotions uh, in our lives. So the big question is, well, then how do we do that? How do we deal with those emotions that at times seem to overwhelm us? well there are generally two ways that people deal with emotions there are the expresses, and then there are the represses uh, I wonder which one of those two you are uh, the expresses are people that have no trouble expressing exactly how they feel uh, they don't think about kind of carrying their emotions they want you to know exactly how they're feeling uh, if they're angry they will scream uh, they have no trouble giving people a piece of their mind, even if they don't want it. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. It's for free. You can have it. They don't spare their words. Maybe you live with one of those in your home. Maybe you've got someone of those sitting next to you. It's a good time to nudge them. He's talking to you. Uh, then there's the. It's gone quiet in here. Then there's the repressors. The repressors do the exact opposite. Uh, uh, rather than express how they feel, they stuff their feelings inside of themselves. Uh, instead of blowing up, they clam up inside, uh, And on the outside, these people look nice, like they look like they're in control, like they've got it all together, calm. But inside, they're stressed, they're upset, they're like one of those ducks, you know, they kind of look on, on, on the surface of the water. They just look so calm, but I'm sorry, they're going like that. they're, they're paddling away. Um, they cover up their emotions well. Expresses dump their emotions. The repressors deny or block their emotions. And the reality is that neither of these two are an effective way of dealing with our emotions, the emotions that we experience in our hearts and lives. Timothy Keller says this, who for whom I got s- some ideas from this message, uh, says this, there is a third way and that is we need to learn to pray our emotions. There is a a third way and we need to learn to pray our emotions. And one of the best ways to deal with how we're feeling is to bring it into the presence of God. Now if there's a book in the Bible that kind of teaches about this or shows us exactly how we should do this, it's actually the book of Psalms. Psalms teach us so much. I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a difficult time, one of the books that I quickly go to is the book of Psalms. Do I have have any friends? As I'm reading the Psalms, I kind of feel like it's putting into words exactly what I'm thinking and exactly what I'm feeling. And of all the things that the Psalms teach us, one of the things they do is teach us how to deal with difficult emotions. And so I wonder, there might be some people experiencing some of that today. And maybe you walked into church feeling battered and bruised. Maybe you're angry at injustice. Maybe you're angry about something that's happened, something that someone has done in your life. Maybe you're in a pit. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you have no clue what God is doing right now in your life and you love him. And you know that he's real. Um, but you don't know how to handle what is actually happening in your life right now, I pray the Holy Spirit will use these messages to help all of us uh, to deal with some of those difficult emotions we all experience and we all need to learn how to face in our lives. The, the Psalms are divided into various categories and the largest category in the Psalms is the Psalms of Lament. Lament. This character deals with the seasons of sorrow and pain and tears, the kind of seasons we all experience in life and that's what I want to kind of look at today and um, in particular we're going to look at Psalm 126 and there's a few really good lessons that we can learn from this Psalm that I pray is going to help us, especially for anyone who might be here this morning and you're in one of those seasons, uh, those difficult seasons, those de- seasons of sorrow and distress. Well the first thing that we need to do, or the first thing that this psalm kind of teaches us, um, is that we need to expect seasons of sorrow and pain in our lives. Psalm 126 begins with the words, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Some people think Psalm 126 was written uh, as the Jews were returning back from exile. Commentators are not 100% sure of whether this was indeed the case or not. What we do know is that God did something so great for the nation of Israel. They were laughing, they were dreaming, they were singing. Other nations saw it and they go, man, that's amazing what God has done. And they were filled with joy. How many people like those kind of seasons in life? You know, those seasons where you're dreaming and you're laughing and it just looks amazing. You wake up in the morning and you feel alive and you just can't wait to get on with the day. They were amazed at what God had done for them. But then in verse 4, something changed. It's kind of a shift in the psalm. And it says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now we don't know what happened or what was happening to them in this particular moment. But the Negev was a lifeless desert. And they may have been going through a famine, a plague. um, And uh, whatever they were going through, it was kind of like a desert season or a desert experience. And they were praying, Lord, restore our fortunes. Lord, we remember back there how good things were. Things aren't really good right now. I feel like I'm in a desert. Would you restore our fortunes? Would you send some water or some streams through the desert that I'm experiencing right now in my life? And as as you kind of read the Psalm, we don't know exactly why things change. There doesn't seem to be, a sense of repentance in the psalm. It's not like they'd sinned in some way or they drifted away from God. If that was the case, they'd be, oh God, forgive us for what we've done. There's, there's no sense of that at all in the psalm. There's a sense that everything is going really well for them and then suddenly it's all going downhill. Suddenly they're in a desert. I wonder if there's anyone that can relate to that. You know, you were doing really well. Songs of joy, dreams about the future. Future was looking amazing. People were looking at you and thinking, gee, God is doing some amazing things in your life. And then suddenly you're in a desert and you're wondering, how did you get there? You're kind of wondering, why, why did you get there? And here's, here's the first principle that, even as, that, that, that we need to learn from this, that even as Christians, we should expect tough times. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I needed a little bit bigger amen than that. I mean, aren't you glad you came to church? Come on, this is is good stuff. We should expect seasons of pain and suffering and tears. Thank you, Pastor Joe. That's just what I needed to hear this morning. Peter says this, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter is saying, You're going through this tough time. Don't think this is something strange. I don't know about you. I know this verse. I know this verse off by heart. But every time I'm going through a tough time, I'm saying, God, what are you doing? I don't go, Oh, this is just another tough season. It's fine. Here's the problem for us as Christians. We have this idea that if I'm a good Christian, read my Bible, pray, give, then nothing bad is going to happen to me. That God will not let anything bad happen to me. And the better Christian I am, the less bad things will happen to me. We, we don't kind of say that out loud, but we kind of... We kind of kind of believe that to be true in our hearts and in our, in our minds. And, and you know, the, the, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through some tough time, the first question that does come into my mind is, God, have I done something wrong? I don't think it's a bad question. I think it's a good question to go into the presence of God and say, God, look, I noticed that things have changed all of a sudden, Lord. Is it because I've drifted in some way? Is it something I've done or I'm doing that is causing me to drift away from your presence? I don't think it's a bad question. But we need to be careful. Not every trial we go through is because of sin or because we're doing something wrong. Because this idea of the better Christian I am, it's kind of a religious point of view. It's it's the better, the more I do for God, the more he's going to love me. No, 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 that's not how it works at at all. God, God loves us. We do good things because God loves us. We don't do good things so that God will love us more. That's religion. Christianity is completely different. We love God. He loved us even when we were far from him. And we do good things because God loves us. So this idea of the the better Christian I am, the less bad things are going to happen to me have no basis whatsoever in Scripture. Notice the psalm we're reading. There's no sense that they deserve this trial. that They just seem to come out of nowhere. And here's the reality that all of us as Christians, we all need to accept in this life, we will experience hardship. The normal Christian life includes seasons of sorrow and tears and hardship. Someone should write that down in a note. That's got to be something to remember. Put on the fridge, you know, because that'll really help you. Greatest example we have of this is in the life of one man who walked the earth. He was perfect, never sinned, never had a bad thought in his life. He did his devotions every single day, spent time with his father. And of course, we're speaking about Jesus. Notice how the Bible describes him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. If we want to be like Jesus, then we will be where we will experience suffering. We will be familiar with pain. And the more we become like Jesus and the more we look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, the more of this we might experience. So the first thing that we need to do to deal with suffering and pain is we need to accept the reality that we will go through seasons of hardship in life. Can I hear an amen? Wow, just don't any, anyone leave <laughs> just yet. Point two and three are coming. Second thing that we need to do is we need to sow our tears. Verse five says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves With them. Now, notice the psalmist here is using a farming analogy uh, to describe what's happening here. Farmers sow their seed and then they wait for the time of the harvest. And at a harvest time, they rejoice because they're harvesting the fruit of whatever it is that they've sown in a previous season. And so we get the analogy, it's a farming analogy. But there's a little twist here because it says, Those who sow with tears will reap. With joy. Farmers never sow with tears. So what does that actually mean? Well, I I believe it's poetic language or a poetic image that essentially says to us, don't avoid your tears. It's saying, don't just express your tears. We've got to learn to plant our tears. We need to learn to sow our tears, our sorrow, our pain. Remember, there are two ways that we can deal with our emotions. There's the expressors and then there's the repressors. So if the farmer just dumps his seed, like imagine this farmer's got a, a, a sack of seed and he and he just dumps it on the soil, or if he if he kind of keeps it in the shed and, and doesn't actually do anything with the seed, he's never gonna get a harvest. The only way the farmer gets a harvest is they need to sow. Or plant their seed. So what this is saying is we need to learn to plant our tears. We need to see our pain. We need to see our sorrow. We need to see our tears as seeds. And, and and within the context of the seed is a harvest. And if we plant them appropriately, if we plant the seed appropriately, if we plant the sorrow, if we plant the tears appropriately in due season, we will reap a harvest of joy. Isn't that what James says? What he says in James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know, when I go through trials, I go, oh, how happy am I? I ring my friends. I say, I'm going through a trial. I'm so happy. You know I mean? Yeah, you know, I put it on Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, I just going through a really good time. I'm going through a trial. Anybody ever done that? Experience pure joy when you go? It's not me, I can assure you. Now, listen to what it says. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. No one rejoices when they're going through the trial, but if you see the trial as a seed and plant it appropriately, it will produce something that will bring joy in your life. Now, I've been through many Kind of tough times in my life and, and some challenges in my life. And I can assure you that as I was going through those challenges, I never think, oh, this is amazing at all. I'm, I'm in the presence of God saying, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? I'm complaining. I'm whinging. I'm whining. I'm saying, God, what is going on here? But as I look back years later, when I've gone through the trial... You know, I look back and I say, I, I can see what's, what's changed inside of my heart. I can see some of the things that have been formed and shaped in my heart and in my mind. And I kind of look back. I still don't laugh. I don't rejoice. No, I'm not going to say I rejoice. But I still look back and I say, God, I, I just thank you. I thank you for what this has actually produced in my heart and life. David says, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning, Paul says, "For our light and momentary troubles are achieving or producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs the more." In other words, those tough times, if we see them as seeds, if we see those uh, those those, uh, those tears as seeds, and we plant them appropriately in due season, they will produce a harvest of joy. Greatest joy that we can experience is the joy that is the product of tears. We can experience joy that has no pain at all. It doesn't change us. But there is a joy that comes through tears that does something to our hearts and lives, that changes us in the depth of our hearts and in our spirits. That brings joy. Well, what do we do? How do we sow our tears then? All right, Pastor Joe. So we need to sow our tears. So how do we sow our tears? Well, the greatest way that we can... So our tears, the greatest thing that we can do with our sorrow, our pain, our tears is to bring them into the presence of God. Most of the Psalms are Psalms of lament and they are just that. It's the Psalmist expressing their pain to God. And in so doing, God deals with the source of their tears, but also God deals with the person who's weeping as well. Both of them are transformed In the presence of God. The only way that we can do that is to understand that it's safe to cry out to God. It's safe to pour out our hearts to God, to cry out to God, to bring our suffering to God, to to bring our pain to God, to bring our emotions, to be able to express exactly how we're feeling into the presence of God. Notice uh, Psalm 39. Notice what Psalm 39 says. It says, Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as my ancestors were. Psalm 39, 13. Look away from me, that I may enjoy life again before I depart and have and am no more. Psalm 39 is a psalm of lament. Most of the psalms of lament are filled with wrestling and weeping and crying and shaking the fist at God, the psalmist asking tough questions to God, but they always end with a note of faith and victory or a declaration of unfailing trust in God. They're always, they always end off on a positive note. They always end up on a, on, a, on a note of faith. Psalm 16 is one of those psalms where David expresses his pain and then he says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In other words, he's just expressed how how much pain he's in, but he finishes off with, hey God, but I know you're going to come through in the end. But notice how Psalm 39 finishes. He's been wrestling with God. He's been asking those tough questions. And notice how it ends. He says, look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. Full stop. He's kind of saying to God, turn away from me Look away from me so that I can have some peace so that I can enjoy my life again before I die. Now, I don't know about you, but it kind of feels like there's something wrong with this. Can I hear an amen somewhere? Is there anybody with me? Uh, David shouldn't be talking like this to God. Um, there's no faith. There's no trust in God. There's just, it's just wrong. It doesn't seem like it should even be in Scripture. And Christian what, what is it doing there? What is it doing in the Bible? Derek Kidner said this about this psalm. He said the very presence of such prayers in the Bible is a witness to his understanding. He knows how we speak when we are desperate. He understands that when we feel overwhelmed, we say desperate things, even things that don't seem to be right at times. And he puts it in the scriptures because he's saying to us, He's saying to you and to me, he's saying to us, it's okay to pray like this. He's saying to you and to me, he's saying, it's safe to pray like this. It's safe for you to pour out your deepest feelings with me. Psalm 39 reminds us that our deepest emotions, our deepest feelings should not be stuffed inside of us and they should not even be vented publicly. But they should be expressed in the presence of God. It's safe to express our pain to God, our deepest questions, our rage before the presence of God, because it's there that God does some of his greatest work in shaping the human heart and healing the human soul. It's there that God does some of his greatest work in our hearts and lives. And we bring our pain to God, not, not, not in, this, in, in this kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an end kind of thing. But even before I, 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 I deal with my emotions in some way, I bring it into the presence of God and I pour out my heart to God. It's in this pre-reflective way. I bring it into the presence of God. Sometimes we do that with people, you know, we, we say, you know what, is it okay if I just speak my mind for a minute? You know, in other words, don't judge what I'm about to say. Don't draw any conclusions from what I'm about to say. I just want to kind of You know, just want to air my thoughts and then and then be able to process them. You know, anybody ever done that kind of thing? And we say it's okay. I think one of the hats is the green hat. Just speak, and I'm not going to judge what you're about to say. And it's a bit like that with God. It's we bring all of our emotions into the presence of God. I don't know yet how I'm going to deal with this. I I, I don't know yet what I'm going to do about what's happening inside of me. But what we do is we bring all of those questions, we bring all of those all that pain, and we bring it into the presence of God, and we cry out. to God we pour out our emotions to God both of those things are going to hurt us venting and clamming up inside are going to hurt us the greatest thing that we can do is pour out our hearts to God into the presence of God because it's the safest place for us to do it one more reason why God understands our desperate prayers is because of Jesus Jesus came to earth lived a sinless life yet he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief Jesus himself experienced pain and sorrow and tears in Gethsemane. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He was was saying to God, his father, he's saying, listen, there is so much sorrow in my heart and life. I feel like I'm going to die before I even go to the cross. While Jesus was on the cross, it felt like heaven was shut. It felt like God had abandoned him. And what, and what does Jesus do with those feelings? What does he do with those emotions? What does he do with the thoughts that are inside of him? Does he clam it up inside or does he scream? No, what does he do? He cries out to God. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced what we feel and so he understands our pain. And Jesus plants his tears in the presence of God. He plants his pain in the presence of God. And the Bible says this, in Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross gives us hope that if we plant our tears we can reap a harvest of joy in due season. Last verse goes on to say, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. It doesn't say might or could, it says will. Eugene Peterson makes reference to the fact that the last four Psalms in the book of Psalms are actually Psalms of praise. He says this All true prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry and fearful the experience it traverses, ends up in praise. Doesn't always get there quickly or easily. The trip can take a lifetime, but the end is always praise. All true prayer pursued long enough will become praise. And so today, as we prepare to break bread and we're reminded that Jesus, who was perfect, yet he suffered. And what did, what did Jesus do with his suffering? He, exp- he expressed it to his father, sowed his tears. And the result of that was he reaped a harvest of joy. And I, I pray today that God would minister to all of those who are going through a season of sorrow a season of pain I pray that God would minister to us today I don't know about you but I love uh, communion I always love communion it's a special time in the church calendar and there's just something special about this because it enables us to connect with God in a special way there's no magic in the emblems. There's no magic in the, in the bread or the juice as we're going to be taking it. There's no magic in any of those things there. But it's an opportunity for us to connect with God and allow God to do something in our hearts and lives. You know, I think of different kinds of preaching. Uh, there's inspirational kind of preaching. Inspirational preaching is about, uh, you know, getting people excited and encouraged. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. It's good preaching. I love I love inspirational kind of preaching and there's certainly a place for it. But you know, often what happens is we get inspired and then we go back to our normal week and everything goes back to normal because actually the reason why we've got some problems is because there's some things that need to change in our lives. Uh, pure emotion and inspiration isn't going to change our circumstances. There's some things that need to change. So uh, Another kind of preaching, which is maybe a little bit better, it's informational kind of preaching. That's where we provide keys. Well, look, if you want to change, here's what you need to do, A, B and C. If you do A, B and C, then that's going to actually change the situation that you're going through. And that's great too. But often as we take, you know, we write it in our notes, A, B and C, go back this week's going to be different because we got A, B and C. As we try and do A, B and C, we figure A, B and C is really hard to do. You know what I mean? I like doing D, E, and F. You know what I mean? I don't want to do A, B, and C. I don't want to do A, B. I find it really hard to do A, B, and C. It's easier to read it on paper and write it on paper. It's actually hard to do. And I think the greatest kind of preaching ultimately is preaching that has a bit, of, um, it's a bit of teaching, a little bit of inspiration. But ultimately, it's about transformation. Because only God can transform our hearts. I mean, you can teach a, a caterpillar. You can say to that killer, you can, you, can inspi- you can talk to a caterpillar. You can say, caterpillar, you're amazing. You're going to fly one day. Come on, you can, you can fly. You can fly. You can even teach it. A, B, and C. Now look, you can make some wings like this. You've got to go up to a high spot, run, and then fly off and get a parachute or something. And you can fly that way. You could, you could teach A, B, and C. But ultimately, if that caterpillar is going to fly, it needs a transformation. It's going to have to go into a cocoon and be have its nature completely transformed. And that's where communion is powerful because it gives us an opportunity to connect with God and allow God to transform our hearts at the deepest level that enables us to seek Him and to know Him and to live differently in our lives. So today... As the brethren prepare to distribute uh, the emblems, I want you to hold them in your hand. You know, people often ask, who can, who can take communion? Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then this is for you. If you don't believe in Jesus, these emblems are just nothing. They're, gonna, they're meaningless. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to hold them in your hand. And then we're going to pray together and believe that God is going to do something in our hearts and lives. Thank you.